1: Put your pencils down, because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Phantom.
2: Welcome one and all to another edition of the Star Seminar. This is a teen taught class. I'm one of your professors. I'm Dr. Rabble Rouser, and with me is full professor Danny Phantom. Dr Phantom how are you this fine evening
3: You know I'm doing okay um speaking of a doctor um I'm just uh just came off my first colonoscopy uh Ooh. so I will say that uh, I'm glad that's behind me I am listed as day to day uh recovering fine um I will say this though uh they do not oversell the prep part uh everything was fine but the the solution stuff I don't know if you have uh, done this or not but uh, the the solution that you're the required to drink it's uh it's it's a lot of it it's uh it's not only unpleasant in taste uh but I I was able to get through that okay but the volume that you have to drink mm-hmm. is just incredible and I have to say that I had trouble with the last part and uh got a little bit uh nauseated but nonetheless got through it filling and fine, and I will say, everyone out there, definitely, you know, early detection is very important, so make sure you, you do the deed and get that done, but it was not something I was looking forward to, so Rabs, my question for you on this fine day is, what is something that you dread doing, or that you just dread happening? Uh, this is this
2: may feel like a little bit of a glib a- answer, but I, I think the the one thing that I dread most in in my life is being eaten alive, and so it, the, the, you know the, this is kind of macabre, but there's a very very high percentage of species animals whatever that die by being eaten alive like eaten while they're still partially conscious and so that there's nothing there's nothing worse for me than than that than a moment where i like i'm being eaten and i know i'm dying and the worst way of course would be to be eaten alive by the undead so i would say that i dread nothing more than um Then something that is actually a very high likelihood, which is uh, the zombie apocalypse in which I'm caught and surrounded and I can't escape and I get eaten alive by zombies.
3: I was really thinking you were going to go with something with like a shark or something, you know, or (laughs) something. uh, So you kind of threw a little curve there. It's uh, okay. That's uh, welcome to the show, everybody. You know, you got colonoscopy and zombie apocalypse. This is what you're getting today. So uh, (laughs) glad you can join us. But speaking of joining us, what do we got going on today? Uh, I'm actually really
2: excited today because uh, what we've decided to do for our next two episodes is to assemble our Oxford gang. So, um, uh, you and I actually had the first time, uh, the opportunity for the first time to meet in person last year uh, when we went to Oxnard for training camp, and we were joined there by um, a couple of guys who I've actually met before at previous camps, uh, Tony Thompson and uh, the great Yuma Cactus. So we've actually asked those two uh, fellows to join us. Um, for two weeks actually to talk about what we're anticipating looking for in camp. Some of the, some of the sort of position battles that we're looking forward to, et cetera. This week we'll talk about the offense and then next week we'll get the gang together again and we'll look at the various defensive positions. So uh, I love talking football with these guys, you know, usually every day after camp uh, we go out to a local bar, you know, local pub uh, you know, local eatery, whatever it is and sit, and digest what we've just seen and you know kind of you know argue and tease things out so this is going to be an opportunity to kind of reconnect with those guys and do the same so i, I know i'm really looking forward to it
3: yeah i tell you what when i walked in that pizza parlor and you know had never met you guys and uh it, it's it's just so weird how you walk into a, an atmosphere that is so comfortable and it's just flowing with all that cowboy's goodness and i remember you know meeting Yuma and. and And, uh, you know, Tony for the first time. And it's just, it's just, I just love talking to those guys. It's just fantastic. I'm so excited about this. And, you know, there's a lot to talk about with uh, this Cowboys roster. So, um, yeah, let's, let's do this.
2: Absolutely. Without further ado, let's get those cats in here. All right. It is with the greatest pleasure and no little amount of nostalgia that I welcome into the studio, the Oxnard Gang. So joining uh, Mr. Phantom and myself are two estimable gentlemen, uh, Tony Thompson and the great Yuma Cactus. Gentlemen, welcome.
4: Thanks for having me. What, intro- what an introduction, man. Just top notch. <laughs>
3: So what we are going to do today, and we have this gang together for a reason, we are going to start trying to put some thought into who we believe will be starting on the, on the Cowboys and maybe some key role um, positions and, and just kind of dive into some position battles we think could take place now that we have a draft behind us, uh, the Cowboys are you know they're not finished in free agency but we you know they might be for the most part so now we have a a better sense of of the the players i thought it would be a great time to have a discussion on who we think's going to be where so and what better group to do it with than you know the, the oxner gang and where we have had a plethora of debates about uh players and positions throughout our time together and uh you know every year that's a fun thing to to discuss so why don't we kick things off um we can start on the offensive side of the ball and i think it's safe to just rule out i mean we got quarterback all locked up um the question becomes what what happens at backup quarterback does anybody have any thoughts we can start there
1: Not really anything new. I think it's going to be the same two guys we had last year, most likely. I mean, unless Danucci makes some miraculous turnaround to become an actual NFL quarterback,
4: it's probably Dak and Rush. Yeah, I think that Rush ultimately showed, you know, despite not a spectacular performance against the Vikings, sort of the, you know, the average backup who can. You know, with a good enough roster and people playing well enough around you can, like, hold the fort down for a game or two if the unthinkable happens. And if the real unthinkable happens, you know, um, like Tom Moore uh, said once upon a time, um, you know, you're not going anywhere anyways.
3: Are any of you surprised said, that that they didn't bring anybody else in, that this is just who they're going to roll with?
4: I'm not, because, like, there's not there's not even 32 good quarterbacks. So if you know Dak is hurt for any amount of time, there's just that's that's the season. I mean, we've all seen it with Romo before, and it's like once that guy goes, what really are you going to do about it?
3: Yeah, I am a little interested. I, to I mean, I don't hate Cooper Rush, but I'm you know I was actually surprised that he came away with the, the QB two job last year. I, uh, not that Garrett Gilbert is anything spectacular, but uh, just. Not, I'm just not really thrilled with him. But of course, he did. He he was solid. I'll give him that. But I'm a little bit intrigued by Will Greer, and what the Cowboys. I mean, they obviously, signed, you know, signed him for a reason. I mean, what what are, what is their plans there? So, that could be something of interest as we get into training camp and see what happens with with him.
4: I know that when we were all sitting there last year, we thought for sure that Cooper Rush was the third quarterback and we were all caught off guard by um the ultimate you know decision there but um i think they just i think the coaches like him and you know that's sometimes all that matters
3: yeah and no. a
1: lot of, a lot of times uh the the starting quarterback whether or not he likes him has as much or maybe more to do with the backup as the coaches i'm what i think
3: yeah that's a that's a great point something i didn't really catch on to until i realized why, why is Mark Sanchez on this roster and, uh, right. you know, or even Kellen Moore in some senses, you're back to when he was, you know, back backing up. So any thoughts, Rabs on quarter before quarterback before we move on to.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, that, I think there's a couple of things to think about. One is what is the, what is the kind of, you know, day to day and week to week workflow of the backup quarterback. And I think that it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, game prep, um, you know, I think the the backup quarterback, like you were saying, is a friend to the starter. Um, I think that whether you have Cooper Rush or Kyle Orton, it really doesn't matter, right? It doesn't, it be, they're they're both they're both bad. And if your starting quarterback goes down, uh, I think I think Tony was absolutely right, right. to quote um, Tom Moore: "We don't practice f boys." You know, if, you, if your if your main guy goes down, you're screwed, right? And that, and the season's essentially over. And we've seen that happen, you know. Three or three times in the last fifteen years, and so, um, so I did. So I really think that there's a lot of there's a lot of guys who are on the roster that fans don't understand why they're there, and they're there because of what they do Monday to Saturday. Like there's things that they contribute to the overall effort Monday through Saturday that are really important to that operation, and maybe they don't do diddly on Sunday, or it doesn't seem like they do, but um, but they're making a, a meaningful contribution. To, to the lead-up to, to the game. And I think that Cooper Rush probably does stuff behind the scenes that we can't see when he's, you know, when he's um on the field at Oxnard because it's all happening in meeting rooms and film sessions. And, frankly, like, when they're all sitting there
4: eating and he's hanging out with Dak. Yeah, yeah to be fair, it's not like there was anyone else in Oxnard or any other time, um, you know, since Dak where you're like, man, maybe this quarterback's actually good. Um, you know, it's just never really been a thought that's crossed anyone's mind. You're just like, yeah. yeah, these guys are average at best, and, you know, that's sometimes all you can hope for.
2: Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton's the best backup quarterback they've had in the last 20 years, you know, and that, and he that gives, you a se- gives you a sense of, of what the sort of, like, upper limit point is for a, for a backup
4: in the NFL. Right. I mean, technically, it wasn't Tony Robo the best backup quarterback we had um, in 2016.
3: Well, I don't De- know if Technically, too. yes. I would Definitely say technically, back. Dak Prescott was the best backup quarterback we had. In the- All
4: right. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking like weeks. No, no, you're right. You're right. right. You know, that was that
2: was a that was an interesting moment. But you know, you know what I'm
4: saying. I mean, basically, yeah, the guy yeah, who's yeah, designated that. to be the backup,
2: it just doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No. All right. So, uh, let's. Let, I think there's a position that we. That there's probably a lot more speculation about than uh quarterback and that's wide receiver. So let's let's talk about what's going on um in the receiver room and what you guys will be looking for from the wide outs at camp.
1: With uh with I think they really just wanted to get more dogs in the room and I think Tolbert is that if you watch any highlights of him he's he's chirping all the time. He's more of a Dez type. I mean uh CD is like that too. Um, I don't know about James Washington, but that's why I think they moved on from, from uh, Amari more than the money. I, you know, they could have made the money work easily. So I think they're going for that, and and Tolbert and CD, and then you got Gallup going to be out for a while, so they say. Who knows? So then you've got three uh, for-sures there, I think, and that's it. And then it's going to be battling Fahoko. That he didn't show much last year. Um, Noah, he's been around for a while, but he's not really—it's—he's not this staff's guy, you know. And then the guy I think might make a, a push this year is Vasher. I kind of liked some of the flashes he had last year, so I'm—I believe he may push Noah off the uh, roster, and then maybe him and Fihoko or the big guys you know the big kind of you know blocking and uh uh maybe special teams or whatever so that's you know
4: man i i couldn't i actually for once um i i don't think i could see it any differently i don't see noah brown going anywhere because of his value on like everything else that he does i think he's one of those like monday through saturday guys for sure but also with like special teams And I felt like every time he's out there, he's like a lesser version of Cedric Wilson, where it's like, yeah, like, he's maybe not that good, but every time he's out there, he seems to be at least, like, somewhat productive. And um, I don't think James Washington or Simi Fahoku are, like, guaranteed a roster spot um, in the slightest. Uh, Fahoku was, I mean, he was nothing. I didn't notice him a single time throughout four, I don't know, three, four days at camp last year. Um, I never noticed him. And then James Washington, he gets like a million dollar dead like cap hit, um, you know, if we cut him. So, you know, if you only have a million dollars um, and someone who's younger, you know, like Vasher uh, shows up and is good or, you know, yep. every, every single year there's the undrafted free agent that we all fall in love with who's uh, inevitably disappointing. Um, you know, if one of those guys shows up and is actually consistent and can play in games, um, I don't know if James Washington's spot's even guaranteed.
1: No, I agree. I don't think that's guaranteed at all. I think mean, he was brought in so that they didn't didn't feel like they had to get somebody. You know, because I...
4: cause if he's your fourth receiver, doesn't like I don't I'm not smart enough to know, but don't fourth receivers, fifth receivers generally play uh, special teams. And it's like I don't know if James Washington is even like athletic enough at this point to do anything on special teams. So if he's not clearly better, and if Gallup heals, you know, quicker, then you know. Reported, um, I don't know. I could just see him being one of those veteran um, cut downs at the end.
3: Yeah, I think he's. Honestly, I just think he's. I don't expect him to be on the roster at the end of the end of the season. He could just be there right now with with Gallup missing time. Um, I I don't know what to expect. So he's a little bit of a mystery. And uh, fihoku is a big mystery to me. i I'm really surprised that he just was as little involved as he was last year i was expecting you know a little more from him um but so I, I mean i don't even i don't know what they have even with him but the one one player i'm excited to see or I'm, I'm curious to see um and i he was one of my favorites last year with the exception that malik turner just kept grabbing all the attention um but B- brandon smith there's you know yeah a, t- tony was talking about uh You know, there are undrafted free agents that we fall in love with. And Brandon Smith was was that guy for me last year. And uh, now with an opportunity possibly available, he's a guy that I could maybe see, uh, you know, find his way on the roster.
2: Yeah, 100%. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if James Washington um, starts the season on the roster but doesn't finish it as you were just suggesting, Dan. I think that uh, it's likely that he's insurance against two things. One, obviously Gallup's early season uh, re- you know, recovery. And um, two, the development of y- young guys. So I think that it wouldn't be surprise. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see him, like you know, cut after week six or something. when Gallup comes back, and some other some other young kid starts to take some snaps as a fourth receiver, or starts to play more special teams or something like that. One other thing about Fahoku is, I mean, I think we can blame him partially, but I think we also have to blame the fact that they had arguably. The, I mean, I don't even know if it's arguable. Frankly, I think it's probably just a plain statement of fact. The top five like receivers in in the league, like the, from one to five. I can't think of any team that was better. I mean, they they had five really good receivers, uh all of whom knew their roles and all of whom did their roles really well, so i I guess the question is like where was Pahoku supposed to come in right i mean you know i mean, uh, you know, I I mean told- sure it would have been nice to be forced his way in, but like he's a rookie, they started the year with those five guys established, um those guys were all young enough that they you know that they wanted to continue to develop them all and um so I think I think you know this is this is going to be the camp where I'm really focused on Fahoku because I don't know how much of it was the fact that he wasn't good and or how much of it was the fact that he just had
4: there was just no room like you know there was everybody ahead of him was fulfilling their role and playing brilliantly. Yeah, I just don't remember like a single conversation about him. You know, there was never a day where you're like, "Man, Fahoku was really good today." But we were talking about, jeez, uh, I forgot his name already. Who was mentioned earlier? Um, the, uh, Malik Turner. Who he had yeah, like days, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like every day, you're like, who is this dude, and why is he always open and catching everything? Um, so that's all. Like that was my disappointment for Hoke. I never expected him to do literally anything last year. Um, I just wanted like that brief glimpse in training camp where you're like, maybe this guy will be good. And like, I don't, I don't, I don't remember anybody saying anything positive about him, which is you know disappointing, yeah, no, you but not be, unexpected. I, I
2: think, yeah, I think in camp we got we got kiss from him.
3: All right. Do we want to we want to stay uh, stay with the uh, the pass catchers and uh, move along to to tight end? Yeah. Why don't? We? So I mean, we got Schultz for another year. That's so he's our tight end one, uh, with no Jarwin around. I, there's a big question like who's who's now going to be tar- tight end number two. So first off, I'm ask you. Let's let's just go around. Like who who do you think is tight end number two?
1: Well, I think that uh, that McKeon, or however you say his name, is going to start out as number two. But, um, you know, I would think that they would hope that Ferguson would take the job. But, you know, we we know how hard it is for tight ends to come into the league. So probably McKeon to start, and then they would hope Ferguson would uh, pick it up, you know, as the training camp went on or the season went on.
3: So I was thinking. I mean, I I agree. I think it's going to be McKeon, but um, there was another tight end who I who I thought may be able to challenge him for the for the tight end two spot. Anybody else think that uh it could be Jeremy Spring, Sprinkle that starts off?
4: Um, I mean, maybe if like he was super awesome in the off season and they want to do like a fake sort of depth chart where they're rewarding a guy for hard work, uh, but I I don't think Sprinkle can do. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know what he does because it's not like he's so good at blocking that it's like I have to have him out there. Um also if the Cowboys want to run two dive in sets and run all day, um we could just pack in the season already. Um so no, I would I would hate that. I would I would hate that. I would, I just want um I think uh Yuma's right. They start with McEwen, and they hope that uh Ferguson is good enough, fast enough where he can take over that role and, you know, uh, play, you know, 10 snaps a game or whatever. And not kill you when he's asked to block and you know make a couple catches now and then. What did Dalton Schultz do in his first year?
3: Uh, well he got to play, he got to play a little bit because who was it? Jeff Swain? Did he get hurt? So he became the blocking tight end, believe it or not. Um, I, I don't have the I don't have the the snap counts, but I was surprised to find out that it was him and not Jarwin who kind of was getting the playing time because they have to have a blocking tight end. And that's just
4: he started. He started seven games that year. He caught twelve passes. He played in eleven total. So he was a nothing in the pass game. Obviously,
3: right? Um, that's why he, yeah. people just think he did. The, the the easy answer there is he did nothing. But right, you know, I will. I mean, we should acknowledge that he blocked. This was, I mean, yes. He, Sorry,
4: in the as the pass catcher, he did nothing. Even crazier, in the second year, he caught one pass. Did he die in his second year? Does anybody remember what happened? Well,
3: Witten like came, yeah, came back. Witten
4: came back. Oh, that's right. God, yeah, great. That was fun. Yeah.
2: So I, I guess the reason I asked this question is because I think that um, Jake Ferguson feels like he's probably on the Schultz trajectory, which means that he's probably not going to really do anything until year three. So I think that. Um, for me, one of the things I'm going to watch most carefully at Oxnard this year is the, the tight end battle because I think there's a lot of open questions, and I, and I think that the Cowboys are probably going to be watching it closely too because if those guys, like, if there's no clear-cut number two who seems to have um, the kind of juice to become the heir apparent, I think they're going to have to knuckle down and, and try to re-sign Schultz because otherwise there's, there's going to be a gaping hole, and, and um, I'm not sure that they can afford that given how important the tight end is to their offense.
3: Yeah, I will say, I, I'm a I'm a big McKeon fan, and um, I think he's very Schultz like in the sense of kind of you know he's a he's blocker blocky first tight end, and I was impressed with how he looked last year, and I was thinking that maybe possibly he could be like on a faster track than Schultz was, and I totally didn't expect the Cowboys to to keep Schultz this season, so I was thinking well here we go let's go two years of McKeon and see what we got, um, but and then, of course, you know, he got hurt and don't really know exactly what we have in him. But yeah, we definitely, I don't, I have very small expectations of Ferguson uh, for year one. I don't sure. think that he'll, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll, I think he'll probably get, it. I think I predicted like less than double digit targets. That's, I just, that's where I, I just don't expect much of him. But I do know the Cowboys value blocking. So I think that sprinkle is in the mix there because of that. Um, but, how many
4: tight
3: ends can they carry? Well, it's it's going to be three or four, right? Is that typically what they do? Yeah, three.
2: I think they can carry four, especially given how often they want to go to two tight end sets. I I think they can justify four. I think so if they want to carry down, four.
4: Go ahead, you. Mike.
1: I was just going to say, I think it comes down to whether or not they keep a fullback.
4: Yeah, I yeah, think that right.
1: usually they'll keep three tight ends if they keep a fullback, four tight ends if they don't.
2: Okay. I, think, I think the other thing to think about when we talk about both tight ends and linebackers is the special teams changes they made a couple of years ago. I think what, what that what that meant for special teams is that guys who have like 250, 50 pound bodies are actually more valuable now because the, the, the there's a lot fewer of the big guys the 300 pounders on special teams. So they have to carry a certain number of linebackers and tight ends um, and fullbacks, you know, those kind of guys who have those, those kind of size bodies just to kind of make special teams work. And so um, I think that there's a likelihood that, that they're going to go long at tight end because they're going to need to for special teams. But then, but then the question becomes, okay, tight ends three and four have to play in multiple, be on multiple special teams units. So who are those guys right. who can do that? Can Ferguson do that? Because I, mean, I think that if he can, that's probably where his main contribution is going to be in year one. If he can sure. work his way into where he's on like three of the special team units, that's a victory. You know, then we we need to start doing a gloaty dance if that happens. So let's let's switch gears and, and talk about um, the other quote unquote skill position. So running back. What are um, let's start let's start with you, Tony. What are you what are you looking for uh, at the running back position uh, when you make your way to
4: Oxnard this summer? I mean, like, is it terrible to say like nothing? Uh, because we it's know it's terrible. Ze- okay, yeah, it's a bad pod bad pod for sure. But I mean, <laughs> Zeke is going to play. You know, 15, 16, 17 games, they're going to give him the ball all the time. Tony Pollard will maybe – here's what I'm looking for. Will Tony Pollard play any slot receiver? Or are they comfortable just having him continue to be, you know, the change of pace back? Um, Because I think we all like Tony Pollard probably a little bit better than Zeke at this point in terms of, you know, actually making big plays despite all the other, you know, little things that Zeke does well. Um, And then, like – you know, can Rico Dowdle uh, bounce back? Because I know he had that, uh, you know, rough ending to the training camp there. Um, but like, they didn't do anything. They are completely like they are surprisingly content with their running back situation heading into the season, which uh, caught me a bit off guard. I was not going to be shocked if they drafted one.
2: Yeah, I, I was actually. I have to say, I was expecting them to draft one. Um, yes. I'll talk, yeah. I'll talk about. I'll talk about why later. But I want to hear from some from some other others of you, Danny. Uh, you, my thoughts.
3: Uh, well, honestly, the, the, what I'm most curious about is the what they think is going to happen in the future and how they go about the now and and dealing with it. I mean, they're gonna are they gonna run Zeke into the ground and then then move to Pollard? Are they gonna just get what they can out of Pollard and then move on from him? I, I don't. I wish I knew what they wanted to do because I I almost think that they don't know what they want to do because um, I I was really confused that. They played Zeke as much as they did with with him ailing, with Pollard so effective as he was that just puzzled me. There's really no reason for it. It's yes, it's crazy. So I I what I'm looking for is I I, I want to know what they're going to do. I don't. Both those guys are great, are are good running backs. Um, Pollard's got less mileage on him, so he's got more burst right now. So, I mean, I think most most people would would say you know he's I I don't want to say better because better means so much, but You know, he's just like, I'll just, he has more explosiveness. So we want to see him have more reps. But to me, I'm just, I'm really um, perplexed. But yeah, at the same time too, Rabs, I I also was very uh, surprised by their lack of uh, running back in, in the draft. So.
2: I think they thought that there was that running backs would last. I think they had, they had their eyes on a couple guys and, and I thought they thought they might last until the fifth round. They would spend one of
4: those fifth rounders on, on a running back. Um so it seemed I heard, though that I they heard... really liked it seemed like in that fifth round though, like they had those three guys and they wanted those three guys that they ended up getting. Um, I can't remember all of their names because somehow my brain has turned their mush in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but just like listening to the draft show, um, you know, like recap, it sounded like they were really hoping they could get the three dudes that they got in the fifth round. And so I just never felt like there was any urgency to get a running back, which is fine because it's just a running back, but surprising given, you know, the lack of, you know, options if something goes wrong here.
2: Yeah, I, want, I, I, I'm, I was curious. I, I, was, I, I agree. I think they, they targeted those guys. Um, they continued to, you know, draft guys they, they liked and, and, and address needs and things like that. But I, I, I still feel like if, if, there was, if there was a running back, who they thought you know they they liked who had a similar running style to Zeke I think or a similar um, let, let, let's say a similar play sheet to Zeke I think they might have they might have grabbed somebody. Um, well, I heard something early in the in the offseason, then didn't hear much about it, but I, it sort of stuck with me because I think it's I think it's right, and so I'm hoping that it's true, which was that the Cowboys were really looking closely at a lot of running backs because what they really want to do they want to do a couple of things one. And this goes to what Tony was saying. And I agree 100%. One of the things that I'm actually going to be most interested in at Oxnard is what they're doing with Pollard. Are they actually going to do something different with him? Like Have him play more of the position he played at Memphis where he was a kind of slot receiver and then also a sometime running back. I, I think one of the things that they want to try to do is find a running back who can, who can fill in for Zeke, both you know to, to give him a blow during the game, but also, if he goes down with the injury, and run the same plays because if, because I think one of the things that they that, they're, that they want to do is uh, make Pollard a kind of Debo Samuel quote unquote type weapon where he's you know playing from multiple angles, he's in motion, he's lining up all over the place, you're taking advantage of his receiving ability and his suddenness in space. Um, but then, you, but then if Zeke goes down, you don't have to pull him out of that and like you know, and and then sort of like you know. Forget about half the half the play calls on your play sheet because now he's not able to do that anymore. You continue to to leave him at that position, uh, maximize him as a weapon, and you get some other dude to come in and run Zeke's plays. And so, I think that I think they're going to be hitting the waiver wire at the end of camp. Frankly, I, I don't think there's anybody in the roster who can do that. I don't think that Rico Dowdle or any, any other dudes are anything more than like camp bodies who they like because they, as we were saying earlier, do cool stuff between tuesday and saturday but um i wouldn't be surprised to see them draft or or not draft but uh, acquire after cut down a kind of veteran running back who's pretty good between the tackles who's a pretty good one cut runner who can basically run zeke's play so that the team can practice the same plays all week long zeke goes down Zeke needs to go out they can continue to run the same plays so i think that's one of the things that, that is a challenge when you have to you know sort of practice Zeke's plays and then practice Pollard's plays, that's a lot of extra stuff to practice. And so I think that they want to kind of simplify that. So I, I think I think this is a, a, one of the big questions of camp for me actually.
3: So a quick before we move on, I would just want to do a quick question to go around to all all you. Who's gonna be the Cowboys lead running back in two thousand twenty three? Zeke, Pollard or someone else?
4: It'll be that's- the most we'll- We'll spend the fourth pick on the draft in the draft on another running back and uh, run him into the ground right away. It'll be awesome. Hmm.
1: I think Zeke will still be, you know, in twenty twenty three, but I think that'll be his last year. And I, I'm not sure if Pollard will be back. I mean, especially if they do all the things they that uh, Rabs was talking about them doing, they're going to price themselves out. Then he's just going to be comp pick Tony. They're going to get that
2: sweet, sweet
1: comp
4: pick, Yuma. You know that's what they're all about.
1: That's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, they can move
4: on from Zeke next year and save, you know, close to $5 million. Um, I think that uh, Jones has proved that they don't really care about Dak Prescott's opinion on a lot of things uh, because, you know, his best friend is Lyle Collins. Uh, right. and he's no longer here. Um, so I would not be shocked if, they, if he's just gone next year. And I honestly, as much as I love Zeke, um, and I think he's been – you know, he's done everything we've asked of him. Um it's just often been too much. It's just like you just can't keep paying a running back for that long. It just you cannot do it.
2: And and frankly, if you want to protect your investment over the long term, you
4: don't run him into the ground like they have. I mean
2: they just they just worked him to death in his first three years. And he <laughs> Dude, doesn't you know,
4: they, he's, not the, he's not the same player anymore. That they didn't give him a break last year when his like he was he looked good at the beginning of last year. Oh, uh, he looked, he looked good right. at the beginning. Yeah. He looked fast dude. at training camp. We all noticed that he looked like quicker than normal. And mm-hmm. then he got banged up a little bit and they just never took their foot off the gas. They just kept like giving him the ball. And it was, you know, you already covered it. It was befuddling and they just continued to do it, which makes us, makes me feel a bit like the DeMarco Murray thing where like, yeah, they're just going to run this dude in the ground and then let him go. And that'll, that'll be that. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And hopefully a... they've learned their lesson about drafting and running back high and pay hey, well. Not even that, but paying him that second contract.
4: I don't think yeah, that Jones has learned many lessons. So <laughs>
1: we'll
2: see. I, I I think that, the, the, yeah, the, the drafting him high is really the problem because when you draft him high, you have to sort of give him the sure. second contract to justify the investment in the first place. So you're doubling down, right? You're chasing bad money again. So I, I, I was, I'm I going to venture that the the lead running back in 2023 is not on the roster right now. I agree.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably a safe play. I. I uh I'm in I was in huge denial about Zeke and it's a weird you know so I my my thinking with free agency is is all based on the math and the math is heavily in favor that like Stephen Jones is doing it a lot smarter than a lot of people are um, but running back I I really had a tough time with it uh, you know I wanted Zeke and I was okay with the extension clearly I was I, I was wrong and I was going going against the numbers that say you know, when you when you get those carries, you know it's 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 not a it's not a position you should invest high into, and it's just something that's not sustainable. And uh so. it's not even it's not even
4: just the carries for him. Think about all the times that he's like killed himself trying to save Dak from dying because someone, uh, you know, blew oh, yeah. up an assignment, and he's in there like throwing his shoulder at people. So I mean, he's he's good. I like him. He's a soldier for sure. Um, he always wants the ball. He always wants to play. And unfortunately, your body will not let you do that at that position.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got
4: the heart of a warrior, but the body of a you know octogenarian right now, it's just not,
2: yeah, yeah. it's just not a good fit. I'll tell you what, just before we move on to the next position, every time someone like DeMarco Murray or Zeke comes through or whoever it is, you know, like a Marion Barber. I mean, it makes me appreciate the miracle that was Emmitt Smith. The fact that he was able crazy. to, be there. I mean, he had like 90% of their carries for like a decade straight. He was in there. He blocked just as every bit as good as Zeke does. Uh, you know, he, he, he knocked, you know, blitzing linebackers on their keister time and time again. Missed only a handful of games. Was so consistent, so durable. It's it's unbelievable. The more you look at like the the kind of wear and tear on running backs and I mean so 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 many carries early in his career. I have no idea how he did it, but uh it's it's astonishing, it really is. Yeah. Amen. Um,
3: Genetics is awesome. You know what? One one some people will point to how he did it, it was a very good offensive line, which is where well, let's where we're heading next? So,
2: oh, you transition monster, <sighs> <Hey>. you, <laughs> Mister
1: Segway.
3: What do you think is going to go on at the tackle spot? We'll start at the easier spot, at least I believe.
4: Uh, Tyron Tyrant Smith. Is, is that the spot we're just talking about? Uh, no, Tyrant Smith will be.
3: Let's do this, the three. The, the three tackles. The the. We obviously we know what's happening with the two starting tackles. So basically, let's let's go right into it. Who's who's swinging for us?
4: I think they I hope it's Josh Ball, but you know. Hey Matt, you know that guy? That guy maybe should not be swinging at anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all night. Yeah. Um,
3: you might yeah, not be. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh,
4: so, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think they they really hope it's Josh Ball. Um, you know, I wish he weren't on the roster, but you know, alas, uh, I'm not in control of that. Um, they've not let themselves left themselves any options, um, really, unless someone thinks that. Are we including Tyler Smith as like the third tackle as like a, a in case of emergency, um, Tyron mean,
3: Smith injury. Z- you mean Zach Martin?
4: No, I mean, Tyler Smith. <laughs> you,
3: are you,
2: you know, I, I think they are. I think they are actually. I think that they want him to replace Tyron Smith down the road anyway. And I think that if, if he develops with, with any rapidity, you know, with any kind of speed, I think that they like, let's say, let's say that, um, you know if, if Tyron goes down during a game i think they'll, they'll replace him with Josh Ball if Tyron goes down during a game and then is out for 6 games i think they swing i think they they swing Tyler Smith out there because i, they, I you know they, they'll be you know i i i think that they see uh ball as a right tackle frankly i mean I, that one of the pieces of information one of the few useful pieces of information that came out of their post draft pressers was the fact that um you know, the kids they drafted from South Dakota, they really see him as a left tackle, and and they see Josh Ball as a right tackle at, right now. So I wonder if that's because he you know, has limited feet or something, or I'm not sure exactly what's going on. But um, it seems to me that if you know if he's the swing, if he's the game day swing. That's fine. They can help him out, but if he's the, if he's the starting left tackle for six weeks and teams have a chance to watch tape on him, it's going to be very ugly. So you- I think that they, so I
3: think that it'll be it'll be. It'll be um, you know the new, the new Smith, 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 the younger. Yeah, the the good thing about that, the scenario you talked about, you know, the, with Ball and specific, they're both those guys, and Waletko being on the other side. I mean, they they basically can have a position battle, and who the better of them can make it. it don't matter which side they're on, you know, because Terrence Steele then becomes your swing because he can if if right if, right. if you, right. If, you need, if you need a right then. You know, you can bring in Ball for right side and move still left, and then vice versa. If if well, let's go. It ends up being the better of the two between he and Ball. So, um, so I mean, I think that that's some flexibility there. I honestly, the, the the thought of Tyler Smith playing tackle in year one just completely frightens me. I don't want any part of that. And I, I know that they're higher on this kid than than I am, and a lot of people. All of are, us. All of us. Yeah. But I'm even worried about him in year one as the Left guard, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I don't honestly, I don't think he's an anti. I mean, I could I could be dead wrong, but I think that's super scary. To I mean, I think we're talking about you. You know, you're tired of of Connor Williams holding penalties. I mean, I think you're just asking for a nightmare if you had to throw. It'd be almost like Chaz Greenish. I mean, that's that's how I feel about Tyler Smith playing tackle as in his rookie season. So I, I sure. Yeah.
2: No, I think you're, I think actually you're right. I think that he only play, he only plays if he develops very quickly. I think that if uh, we really think about who's the, who's the swing tackle long term, it's, as you said, it's, it's, um, it's Terrence Steele. And we, and in which case ball, who's practicing at right tackle all the time steps
4: in and becomes a starting right tackle and Steele, and Steele moves over. So are we talking, yeah. So it's like when we say swing tackle, though, Steele, that's more like he's a starting right tackle with versati- with versatility. Like when I think swing tackle, I think he's like, I think like six offensive linemen, like your first guy sort of in. um, But like, I think that Terrence Steele has shown that he's, you know, um, if not great, because he's not, uh, but like at least like he's an actual NFL starter um, that you can feel decent about, you know, no matter what you're asking of him.
2: I I actually, I mean, I'm actually higher on Steele than a lot of people. I actually feel like,
4: and and again, I might be wrong. And there's
2: there's probably evidence to to, uh, refute this. But I really feel like their running game was better when Steele was in there than when Collins was in there. I, um, I, I, just, I feel like it was, more di- it was more diverse and more diversified. Um, you know, and just- so I, I think that when, we, when we're talking about backup tackle or you know, the tackle to replace Tyron Smith, I think we're really talking about two scenarios here. One, during the game in which he gets injured, yep. and then two, the subsequent games.
4: And I think those, are, those will actually be different people who would, who would fill in in those cases. This is probably the thing I'm most excited to watch at training camp um, is like, you know, I'm I'm not going to bother with Tyron and Zach Martin. um, You know, I'll watch them, obviously, in like one on ones, but I'm not like super interested in them just because I know how good they are. Uh, But watching, you know, like what's Tyler Smith look like? uh, Does Josh Paul look like he can do anything? And then like how quickly can we get Willets go up to speed because his physical profile is such, I don't think he's going to be strong enough in year one. Uh, but, I would like to see him try to block DeMarcus Lawrence in a one on one rep because that might be um the funniest thing i 've ever seen
1: yeah well that's goes he 's got a lot of tools that they like that everybody would like you know to have in a especially a left tackle, but probably I ways mean, off
2: you guys he's a he 's a two or three year project he 's got to be a- I think he's there's 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 just so many things he's got to overcome the level of competition the the, the fact that he hasn't had good coaching the fact that his technique is raw uh, I mean he's got incredible physical tools it's a great piece of marble to try to to try to sculpt but um, you know I mean it, if he if he's playing anytime before like 2025 we're in
3: big trouble oh yeah oh for sure you know or you never know I mean they look at Terrence Steele. what you know if they, if they uh... If they go guess- see, I think actually Terrence Steele has
2: more had a more NFL ready body and demeanor from the beginning. Uh, well, let's go. Well, let's go is so he's so long. I I th- I think Terrence Steele actually had some ballast to him. He had some sand in his pants, as they say, and um, you know, he wasn't great year year one because his technique was was terrible because he had you know didn't receive good you know coaching particularly you know in terms of the run game in college. But well, let's go is light years behind him he's a better athlete he has upside sure. is higher
1: right and that's going to be a thing i think they're going to have to try to keep him on the roster too oh uh, well yeah, that's I, mean, no, I, I i don't I, think you can so, get into the practice squad I, I do that.
2: think I, I do think it's interesting that they basically have um eschewed a veteran Swing tackle this year. It feels like they have decided that go, rather than going with a tiny in insecki or that kind of guy um, that they've done in the last few years, who's kind of a, you know just a journeyman, but the journeyman who does cost a you know, a little bit. They decided that what they want to do is, is draft and invest and, and try to try to develop guys, not unlike they did if you recall in the like early to mid two thousands with Jeremy Parnell. Parnell, you know, yeah. where you invest in a guy with some athletic tools, you give him some good coaching. And if you remember, in 2014, he came in for um, Doug Free and and acquitted himself very well, and the, and the offense didn't really miss a beat. Uh, he was he was he was very good. And of course, then earned himself a big contract. Yeah. I think they want to try to do the same thing with some of these other cats, and and frankly, that's what they're doing right now with, with Terrence Steele. So, um, I, I think it's a I think it's an interesting shift in strategy, and it might just be happenstance, but it just it also it feels like in some ways they're trying to you know, maybe allocate resources a little bit differently.
3: Yeah. And speaking of that too, and I don't know if this is just me being, you know, speculating too much here, but I, I feel like they, they see something in ball that we don't see in, in, in his progression because I mean, a, they, they let Lyle Collins go and, and B they've done nothing in the, in the free agency to, to get like the next insect. So we, I mean, well, we got all of our marbles, in the basket of ball and we let's go for our swing tackle. If Tyron Smith gets hurt and he always does. So that makes me feel like they, they must feel a little better about, about ball. I mean, maybe I'm just like being optimistic or that, but it just seems like it's well, kind of risky what they're doing. If, if they did not feel that way, you might be right. Um, but
4: the prevailing thought I've had throughout this off season is like, I don't think they're trying to win very much this year. Um, And I think they're ready to I I think that Mike McCarthy is getting a bit of the short straw um, and they're ready to sort of move on and try to steal Sean Payton, which will somehow cost draft capital. Um, And so I I think that they don't care um, what happens, uh, which is a bit disappointing heading into a season.
2: I couldn't disagree more. I think they care very much. And I think that they um, just don't don't value the same things we value. I I, I, I think that they don't don't value your quarterback's health. Or like a wide receiver. No, they do. No, they do. To. They do. They do. But I think one of the things that one of the things that that we always undervalue because we're not there is what's happening in the locker room. And I think that they got rid of Amari Cooper and Leo Collins not because of talent, obviously, not because of sure. contract, obviously, but because they thought they were both jerks. Yeah, and they thought no, they, I were don't, both, I... they were both corrupting the chemistry in the locker room. They weren't, as as Yumo was saying. Amari uh, wasn't enough of a dog. Layel has always had sort of questionable work habits. And I think that they just um, got fed up with those guys. And so I, I think that they really feel like this is an addition by subtraction, that they're going to they're gonna be better because they're actually addressing their culture by getting rid of two of the most prominent malcontents who basically corrupted and, and were, were sort of locker. I wouldn't say locker room cancers. They weren't like T.O., um, but they were. They were diminishing, I think, the work ethic and attitude in the locker room, and so I think sure. they feel like I feel like the, I think they feel like the talent is lower, but the uh, the effort and the camaraderie is higher, and they believe that that's going to over. I think going to compensate for the loss of talent.
4: All right. Well, when Tyler Smith is playing left tackle in Week Four, and uh, we're dying while Deck is, you know, Deck's trying not to get his head ripped off. Um, let's revisit this and say that maybe talent is sometimes more important than, uh, you know, what's well, happening in the locker room. In, in,
2: in that case, they shouldn't have drafted Micah Parsons. They should have, they should have drafted uh, an offensive tackle when they had a chance. Because, sure. honestly, honestly uh, that was the one opportunity they had to draft that position. And, yep. it, and, and so it doesn't, you know, Happy Layout College is not going to solve that problem. Uh, it It would help a little bit. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I actually don't think there's much of a drop-off between Lyle Collins and Terrence Steele myself. No, I
4: don't. I don't. I think I like Terrence Steele maybe better than Lyle Collins. I'm saying when something goes wrong, and now you're down a tackle, and you have nothing back. Um, you have you have nothing uh, behind these two that's proven as a proven commodity in anyway. Anyway, this has been a long conversation about but, backup tackles.
3: It's interesting yeah. though. I mean, so I mean, it's either it's either one of those two theories: it's either they're they don't care about winning, or they're they have confidence in what they have. And I, I agree with Ravs in there. I don't, I mean, as long as we've known that Jones is, I mean, they may not do things right, but I never, I can't, I can't think for the life of me that they would not have any other goal than but, trying to, to, uh, you know, win, go as far as they can go. So whether it's McCarthy's last year or not, they're going to go, they're going to do their best to try to, to, you know, run this thing out the best they can. So, so two, yeah, I, I, two things about this. So, People
2: talking about this is McCarthy's last year. McCarthy is going to be here for eight years, you guys. He's going to be here God. for a long ass time. Okay, he's going to be here for a long time. Oh. He, might be, he might not be here quite as long as Jason Garrett, but he's going to be here for a long time because he is is a competent coach, and he's a competent coach. He's not a great coach, but he's a competent coach, and he's a competent coach who allows the Joneses to do what they want to do. And there's and that's always the most important thing that they that they feel comfortable. And I think that you've just landed on the the fundamental problem for Cowboys fans, which is that the Joneses want nothing more in the world, especially Jerry, want nothing more in the, in the world than to win, but they have no idea how to build a winning team. So they're not going to change because what they say, what they focus on is the passion they have to win. And, and they feel it, and they think, this is great. No one can feel this more than I feel it, and that, that may be true but they also don't know how to build a winning
4: team. The only thing I disagree with about this is this is the first, this is a strange off season for the Cowboys. Normally before the draft, they, they sign like the tiny second. They go and sort of fill, like they plug all those little holes so that when they get into the draft, if CD lamb is there, they can take CD lamb. I think if CD lamb was there at like 24, let's say like Chris Olave was there at 24. I still think they were taking Tyler Smith. They had dug themselves in a hole that we've not seen them dig. Be- they're, they had the most predictable first three picks that have ever happened. Like, right when the Cowboys were on the clock at 24, we're like, oh God, it's going to be Tyler Smith. We knew it was going to be Sam Williams, and we were lucky that Jalen Tolbert was there. This is the first time, it feels like in a long time, where it was like, a pure, it wasn't even like, best player available at a position of need. It was straight like, we need this the most. We have to have an offensive lineman. We have to have a pass rusher. And now we have to get a receiver. And that was all because of their offseason moves. And I I can't think of the last time they've had an act like that. And so that's why I think they don't I, – I think this is uh, – like I don't think they care about this year. Um, And that's really disappointing given you know how short windows can be for so quarterbacks. So when you say at, you can't remember the
2: last time, they, they drafted the way they did this year exactly the same way in 17, 18, and 19. That, that, I mean, the, the the real divergence
1: from writings was, on the wall every time.
2: The, the real divergence from that was twenty when C, C D Lamb fell, but they were telegraphing Caleb on Chase on forever. And if C D Lamb had been picked, they would have drafted Caleb on Chase on, and they would, would have continued. They they do that. That's what that's the way they operate. Um, um,
4: I guess I I guess what I'm saying, like I think if this were this if that draft the same scenario played out this year. I don't think we're taking C.D. Lamb. I don't care where he was rated. I think that they were such – I think they were so dug in on fixing those holes. Um, I don't know. I just – this was – I don't know. Um, I, I could yeah, be the wrong thing. for sure.
2: Ty, Tyler Smith was the highest-rated player on their well, – no, it wasn't the highest-rated player, but he was, this, it was you know the highest-rated player at a position where they actually had need on their board by a, by a yeah. fairly substantial margin. So uh, while we didn't rate him as high as they did, I mean, they got their 16th best player, 24. That's pretty darn good. Uh, we can we can fault the evaluation, but I don't think we can fault the pick or the
4: or the process.
2: I mean, the process. I, works I think great.
4: that I think that board was rigged uh, for a press conference. I, I don't believe a second of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you think they they had
2: a, someone so they they hired some kind of uh, intern to like quickly like pick, oh, yeah. print out the Jerry flash. 100% dude I, 100% uh, They had a Oh my god dude You're so they, <laughs> they,
4: had, they had a safety Who ran like a 4-7 In their top like 8 There's no way The Cowboys don't even like safeties There's no way they had Kyle Hamilton As like their 8th best player I refuse to believe that
3: It would be genius If they did that And the thought crossed my mind Is like Could they be They're not
4: that smart <laughs>
1: they,
3: they're not, Could they be so smart To do something that stupid And uh, No
1: The look on Wills and Steven's faces uh, tells me that they were not uh, in favor of what Jerry was doing
4: there. Well, that dropboard sucked, Ben. Anyway, all right, sorry, I <laughs> derailed so, a lot. My apologies. So
3: now that everyone is feels really good about themselves in the Cowboys season, with uh, after listening to t- 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 Tony there, um, let's um let's move on a little bit. So Yuma, do you have any more thoughts on the swing tackle spot before we move on to interior?
1: no i think that that uh it was all covered pretty good um you know and and as far as josh ball um they they know way more than we ever will about how he was last year when he wasn't playing if he was stayed engaged um how he's been doing in the off season like i mean who has been is he going to one of these uh offensive line trainers or and which one and you know, we don't know any of that stuff, and they know all that stuff. So sure. um, sometimes it's hard to judge on how much uh, progress a player is going to make.
3: Yeah, I just find it particularly interesting that they're kind of, you know, putting all their faith in basically a couple of their, you know, day three draft picks to handle the swing spot, especially after some of the nightmares they've had at the position before when they've uh, just not been properly prepared. But let's move inside and let's uh finish off the offense here with um well let's just let's start with uh just the guard spot we'll do we'll leave center on its own but so with the guard spot obviously we have Zach Martin on the right guard. Left guard everyone feels pretty confident it's where it's gonna be the rookie. Yeah. Oh for sure. Anybody think anybody like me think that there's a chance when we get you know in, in Oxnard we're, we're looking at Connor you know McGovern running with the first team
4: maybe for like the first day, I think they hate Connor McGovern yeah,
3: yeah. I don't think they I don't hate think him. They hate
2: him I, th- I think that they that they've come to the conclusion, and I, I think this this uh, doesn't align with their initial evaluation. I think they've come to the unfortunate conclusion that he's actually a right guard. And that they, he's playing behind the best right guard in football, and so he, he, there's just nothing for him to do. He doesn't have the particular skill set to play left guard, and so they are like, "What do we do now? We just with this guy. They liked him a lot as a player, but he's really he's really a, a right guard. What do you do?" And so um, I, I think they probably like him fine. I think they just feel very strongly that he's not a left guard. Doesn't have the skill set to play left guard.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think they showed that by giving him a shot and then saying whoops our mistake taking him back out
2: yeah i mean I, th- I think what you know one one of the things that that they that they really seemed to say last year or that maybe maybe it came out like after the season but i think that one of the things the coaching staff felt that was happening was that the league and the and the referees in the league just sort of saw connor williams as a guy who holds right and so he wasn't necessarily. I mean, he was probably holding more than other players, but it was one of those things where he was also like getting called for holding on a higher percentage of the plays where he was actually holding than other players were because he was developing that reputation, and they felt like they needed to do something about that because, as we all saw, his holding penalties kind of were derailing their offense, particularly as the offense began to stall a little bit. So they tried Connor They tried counter Mcgovern. It didn't work, and they had to go back. And so um, that, that's that's what led to this to this drafting of, of Tyler Smith. I, I think the rookie's gonna be fine. I think he's actually uh I think that the things that he that he struggles with are simple fixes and, and the things that he brings are the things you can't coach. Right? He's got a lot he's got a nasty he's a nasty SOB when he plays. He's got uh really good speed, he's very athletic. He just got has received Second-rate coaching, and his technique stinks, and particularly particularly what he does with his hands when he fires off. I think once he learns to do that, he'll he'll be fine. And I think it's something that can be taught within the within the the breadth of the off season.
4: Are we sure that um, Joe Philbin can actually teach anybody to play offensive line? And I'm not trying to be uh, Debbie Downer about everything, but like, <laughs> uh, what offensive lineman has gotten better under Joe Philbin? The Terrence Steele bump. is Steel. but Terrence Steele's from Big Duke. Like he's. Um, like he goes to work with him um, in the off season. Um, I know that like he actually literally couldn't work with Joe Phil, but that's not allowed, but like Terrence Steele's, um got better in the off season. Like he showed up after like his rookie year and was suddenly a better player. Um, and no, no, I no know, question. No question. So y- you know I what think, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. I, I, what someone said recently on a podcast
2: that I was listening to, and I thought this was a really insightful thing, which is that the way that, the the collective bargaining agreement is structured now players can't really actually develop with their position coaches there's just not enough time and there's particularly no okay. time during the season there's no time during the season so what happens is the players who develop are the ones who take the initiative to go out and 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 basically hire a coach who will coach them in the off season because their actual position coach does not have the time anymore so Joe Philbin's job is not to develop players unfortunately his job is to design the um the offensive game plan and to teach guys the basic techniques that they believe in to you know to execute that plan going into the season but guys are going to develop because they're going to do exactly what you said Terrence Terrence Steele did um so that I don't know if that's on Joe Philbin I think that that's true across across the league offensive line coaches just simply don't have they're not allowed
4: to have the time
2: to develop my only
4: ca- my only counterpoint to that is like dante Scarnecchia, who like the cowboys are the only team in the nfl who have to have five first round picks on their offensive line in order for it to like function it seems where like the patriots for example with like dante Scarnecchia, have gotten away with you know, a, a mishmash of dudes. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, sure. Uh, but like, whatever he's coaching, it's it's better than what we've been doing. So um, I don't disagree with that statement. I just think that there's uh, got to be coaches who are able to uh, get around that by just being better. Because you know, there's people who are better at every job in the world.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think he's probably a better offensive line coach than pretty much everybody else. But I think you know, Joe Philbin may be a second or third tier offensive line coach. I mean, he's pretty. He's a he's a good and well respected offensive line coach. They, they don't have a deficiency there. I think other than, other than the fact that there's just a kind of built in a deficiency, um, thanks to the new collective bargaining agreement.
3: Okay. Yeah. I, to me, uh, like I was super impressed with Philbin the first year he showed up, of course he was just cause everybody, everybody was really played really well. And, and so it just looked like it was his doing, uh, I kind of agree with Tony in the sense of like, well, where have where have players gotten better and in in some regards like when you talk about the connors they've looked like they've gotten worse and they got worse so i i guess i'm a little more open-minded to the possibility that maybe they're not gaining much from philbin as as i thought they were um but so to me it's still a mystery i don't know but i I will say this you know and and none of the linemen are terrible so i mean even even as as great as they're not becoming or developing you the Cowboys have have good depth because you just look at you know seven eight players deep when you talk about your Brandon Knights and you know and 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 like Matt Farniak is another one and we'll get to center in a second but um you know they they play well I mean he's got players that are doing a pretty good job so I don't know I guess to me it's a still a question mark as how I, as far as how I feel about Philbin. Sure. But so moving on do anything else with I, I, one comment about the left guard spot is I do not think Tyler Smith will be ready. I do think it's going to be Connor to start things off. I think it'll be short lived, but I just don't think he's going to be ready. I just think that there's so much fundamentally that they have to prepare him for. And I don't know for if we, week
4: yeah. for week one or for like the beginning of training camp for,
3: for week one. I, I think we're looking at okay. looking at the first month, maybe with him not starting. To be, to, that's that, that's my gut. That's my gut tells. Are you, me. you interested in placing
2: a healthy wager on this? Uh, on this? Yeah, review. I was just thinking that too. Yeah, I'll
3: uh, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll dip in on your side. I will ha- I'll happily take your money, Mister Phantom. <sighs> okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tweet something, and it won't it won't be all well right. it won't be well received, and we'll keep the receipts. And uh um, all right, uh, yeah,
2: you go ahead, and we'll keep the receipts.
3: But um, I, I,
2: I would be, I would be. I mean, unless he, unless he's injured for most of preseason, you know, that that happens to rookie rookies sometimes. They get dinged a little, and they just miss so much of that developmental time. But if he doesn't miss that developmental time, I think there's no question
4: that he's the starter
3: week one. I mean, we could all agree he's not NFL ready right now, right? Do you agree? He's not NFL ready right now.
4: I don't think he's NFL ready at tackle. I think he can play guard. Um, I think he can play guard right now.
3: Okay. I think and he
1: proves uh, your run game like day right one. Away. Right, right away. Right away. Like the second he steps on the field, he's killing guys.
2: Okay. Maybe so, not you know,
1: Ridgeway, but, you know other guys
2: yeah no i think you're i think you're right I, I i think that there's a couple of interesting sort of pendulum swings here for the cowboys in terms of their offensive personnel so we talked earlier about the wide receivers and um i know yuma pointed out that they wanted some dogs and they've we've gotten a couple of dogs i think that's one of the main reasons frankly that, that amari Cooper's not here they felt he wasn't uh didn't have a dog in him And it's interesting because, you know, obviously they had the dog of dogs. They had Des Bryant, who was, you know, the sort of soul of the team and the soul of the offense for so long. Uh, Des Bryant's the kind of guy who would forget to run his route if if, if there was an opportunity to pick a fight. I think that they got they got kind of tired of that, that he was talking constantly during during camp. And that's very, you know, during practices. And frankly, that's wearying but and i think they wanted to go i think that they wanted to go away from that they really thought that amari cooper was a, a a breath of a breath of fresh air in comparison because he just kind of quietly goes about his, his work and then i think that they began to miss the dog in des bryant um as amari cooper you know was here for his third and fourth year i, I so i think that they are swinging that pendulum back i also think that they had the power left guard in Ron Leary for several years. Yes. And then when they, but, and I think that they loved having that power guard and, and the, the fact that he could kind of, you know, protect the top of the pocket, but they also were like, you know, he can't really pull. And so there's a, there's a whole set of, of, um, of runs that they can run to the right with Zach Martin, but they couldn't run to the left because he didn't have the feet to execute those sort of pin and poles and those kinds of things. And so I thought that, th- I think they believed that they could diversify their run game if they had a, a, a offensive guard who had a little bit better feet who was a little bit more mobile who was a you know an offensive a, a sort of really mobile le- sort of left tackle in college who had good feet that's who they of course drafted and so um, then they realized oh wait this guy doesn't understand his pants he's getting pushed back in his pocket all the time we really missed that power guard and so that's what they went and got they went and got another power guard that's what they were going to do this year I, I don't think they would have ever drafted a, a sort of like 307 pound guy with good feet. I think they were going to go for a big old 325 pound dude with a big old butt, and big thick, powerful legs, just like Ron Leary, who's going to root guys out. So I think that I think that um, as as some folks were saying, he's ready to do that right now. If that's what they want. I think they'll work on the you know they'll work on his eyes and and stuff during camp. And I think unless again unless he misses a substantial part of camp uh, with some kind of ding, I think he'll be the week one starter. Going away, I, I think. That it, I think it's. It's there's no question. Okay, no question. So I'll tell you what. He's a way, way better athlete than Connor Mcgovern. Like light years better athlete than Conor McGovern. He's got so much more material to work with. I think they'll even if he's if he's close, even if he's not as good as Mcgovern, yeah, he's even close, they'll put him in there because he needs to get better, right? So the, the unless he's just abysmally bad or or injured throughout all, all of camp, he'll he'll be the starter.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, I respect all three of you guys and, you know, I'm probably wrong, but if it turns out I'm not, I'm going to just, I'm going to make sure let all three of you guys. Yeah, you can dance
4: (laughs) on our graves, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Oh
3: yeah. But I I would totally be rooting for you for sure, because I want, I want this guy to be a stud. I want him to be like an all pro guard right off the, you know, and then I'm definitely rooting for him. But I I just got to, how I feel about him. and, And as far as what I, what I think he needs to do to get there, I just think there's a lot of, a lot of room still there for him, but um, I guess we'll see. But let's shift it over to just one spot. And is anybody going to challenge Tyler Biotis for the starting center spot?
4: I keep hearing, like, Alec Lindstrom or, like, that James Envy or whatever. Like, oh, like, maybe he could. And I'm like, all right, um, no. The short answer is no. So what I'm looking forward to is, like, do is there any position flex for, like, Farniak behind him? And then can we snap the ball? Because I know you guys were there when, if uh, Biadish wasn't the center, we literally couldn't snap the ball. So, do we have a backup center? Like, is there somebody did Farniak learn how to snap the ball?
3: Well, um, was it Farniak that in had the trouble, last calendar year? or was it was it Connor yeah. Williams that had trouble? It, it was
4: like everybody, dude. It was every. Uh, I know Farniak had some problems. I remember I counted one day, uh, but everybody behind Biadish couldn't snap the ball. It was the most absurd thing. So I think why they have two um, undrafted free agents at center. I think they probably like them, you know, well enough but I honestly think it's like, they hated training camp without being able, like with five or six snaps just being ruined every time.
1: Yeah, I've been, uh, I thought Farniok, I'm not sure if one of the Joneses said in or something that he was definitely in the mix to be the starting center, like that, there was actual competition there.
3: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think it's still going to be Biotish, but I I am a big Farniok person, and I think that there's an outside chance that he could, uh, you know, maybe challenge uh, Biotis for a spot. And I, I definitely don't. I, I wouldn't feel bad if, like, if Biotis gets hurt. I w- I wouldn't feel scared if, uh, you know, with Farnia coming in. I, I I think that he's. I mean, he had a really solid rookie season. So that's that's definitely one of the players I'll be keeping my eye on, uh, you know, in camp this season. You know, the the interesting thing that
2: it seems to be is for to me anyway is that it feels like a lot of people talk about biodish and his deficiencies like he like they're physical like he's just not strong enough not powerful enough they want you know of course we all miss travis frederick but it seems for them that if there's a question about biodish it's more the mental aspect of his game that he might not be uh, smart enough or he might not be quick enough in terms of recognition to be the center to be the to be the guy who's um doing all the line calls Especially with the quarterback who might that, whose strong suit might not be that as well. I think that one of the things that, that really helped Dak early in his career was that, that uh, Travis Frederick was exemplary. Mm-hmm. He was the, the very best in the league at that. So part of me wonders if they would be willing to trade a little less power, which I think, I don't think Farniak is as powerful as Biotis. I think Biotis actually is a pretty powerful center. Um, uh, if someone is a little bit better at sort of recognizing stunts and doing line calls and things like that, because I wonder if they if they get a little confused sometimes.
4: Oh, man, that that Dak slander was wild, dude. Uh, I mean, like, on the, I don't know if you listen to the Athletic NFL podcast, but Robert Mays and Nate Tice were basically calling Dak Prescott like Peyton Manning um, with how he was, with how, like, many – he's been doing that since his rookie year with, um, like, the amount of, like, audibles and hot routes that he does is pretty – um it's not normal like he does that as much as anybody in the nfl so i don't think i've disagreed with a lot of crazy things you said that one that one's a bridge too far for me i think that's actually Dak's best part of his game uh, because <laughs> well, i think we're, he we're, lacks
1: year six sure we're talking You're about one, two different things so we're much. talking about
2: we're talking about two different things one, one we're talking about the way he reads coverage and the other is we're talking about the way he uh, gets the offensive line set
4: no i'm talking how he gets everything set at the beginning of the plays um i don't know man um it's it specifically like that's been the conversation with him um especially like early last year when the cowboys are obviously tearing it up but he i mean he calls he sets up so he sets up as many things as anybody at the line of scrimmage um it's like he's on the short list with like tom brady and the amount of people like the amount of things that he does at the line of scrimmage and so i, I will not tolerate your dax lander sir not today well, I, I'll, I will only say one, a, couple, a couple of things in response
2: to that. One, I said early in his career, and two, uh, I think that he got better at it thanks
4: to Mr. Travis Frederick. Or, I, that I I do not disagree with, so that's fine.
1: Now, I've got a point on maybe going to a center with a little less power when you can have Zach Martin on one side and Tyler Smith on the other. It's going to definitely help You know, with your center not being maybe as strong as, as the other guy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you oh, can go with Mark
2: Stefnoski when you have Kevin
3: Gogan and Nate Newton. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's that may be <laughs> the biggest factor of all of them is is you know that right there I and mean, they definitely were lacking that too. So who knows? Maybe Biotis turns into like some star, you know, breakout season with when he has got you know guys on either side. So well, Let me let me ask you one you all one question. So uh,
2: you know, when coaches are are thinking about who makes the team What they're really thinking is is who's who's going to be like, you know, the game day uh, actives, right? So they usually go with seven, sometimes eight, offensive linemen. Who are the let's just let's just do seven because that's a little bit more of a challenge. Who are the seven, assuming assuming good health, seven game day actives on the offensive line?
3: Well, so we got the five that we all agree who's five. I mean, yeah, I think
2: think we can all agree who the five starters are. So who are who are our two game day swings?
1: Well, it's got to be Farniok and and um, Ball at this point.
3: Well, what about I mean, yeah. I don't, you know, think McGo- McGovern's out of the mix now.
1: I mean, well, does he play center? I mean, your your interior guy probably needs to play center unless one of your guards is going to kick in and do that with only yeah, seven. But don't they have to have eight now? Isn't that like a rule of oh, having extra?
3: Oh, yeah, be, yeah. Okay, well that solves extra, that problem. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> mcgovern's your
4: eighth because he's right. picking up pullback snaps <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but ball and Farniak, uh for sure are like the next other two guys for that and, and, right now and, and
2: is there is there anybody else who could work their way in i mean
4: it's, i guess what, I'm, what I'm, the reason i'm
2: asking is, is it seems pretty clear like you know people are always talking mm-hmm. about camp, camp battles and the reality is like we're going to go into camp with 45 of the 53 roster spots already decided yeah and so um it seems to me, again, unless there's some sort of catastrophic injury, that the Barring game
4: is pretty much set, right? I think the the only way I see any of this changing is if, like, Alec Lindstrom, um, or Empey are, like, stronger and bigger, like, they show up somehow, like, bigger than we thought they would be, and they're strong enough, and one of them just is lights out. Um, that's the only way, and right. that only gets them to, like, replace Farnia, because I don't think they're going to go with a rookie guard and a rookie center, that would be um you know pretty bananas but i think that though one of those two could take farniak's spot quite easily well sorry easily i mean it's the most feasible outcome of uh an out of nowhere person on the line right right, right. the
1: only the only actual
4: uh battle yeah it's like backup center i'm telling you farniak couldn't stop the ball last uh training camp i remember this visit vividly so i i've got um i don't know i got a bad taste in my mouth from him
3: you got a bad taste in your mouth from everything.
2: (laughs) Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, Yuma, Tony, thanks so much for jumping on with us. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting back on with you guys again next week and doing the same thing with the defense. Uh, Before we let you go, though, please
1: tell the people where they can find you. Yuma, where can people find you? Just uh, at Yuma Cactus on Twitter, and then the same thing on YouTube. Of course, I post videos from camp every year, but other than that, I just talk a little trash on the Twitter.
2: <laughs> but It's high uh, quality I... trash, my friend. And <laughs> Tony Thompson, where can the folks find you?
4: Uh, you can find me at NoHuddle, but currently you don't want to follow me on Twitter because I'm, uh, this is my Dallas uh, heel turn because I'm a Suns fan. And so you want you, you do not want to follow me right now if you're a Mavericks fan. That's all I'm going to say about that.
2: And I believe you've begun
4: writing again, have you not? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I'm back at Cowboys Wire for, until KD fires me again.
2: Uh, excellent. I, I look forward to the multiple firings. This is going to be a George Steinbrenner
4: and Billy Martin situation. I can just That's see right. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks
2: for having right. us, guys. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, for, thanks so Appreciate much, it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next week.
1: See you, guys. Yes, indeed. Good night.
3: So you know that that was great, Rabs. You know, I mean, like you know, we we said earlier, it, it's just it's always fun to get the gang, you know, to hang out with those guys. And uh, you know, you know those guys a lot longer than I have. And uh, but absolutely, it's just great conversation. And you're and you're always gonna you're gonna get something when you know whenever you get Tony and you in the same room and stuff. It's just you know you're you're always gonna get something. So I I always <laughs> look forward to to listening to that and uh, um. But that is all we have for today. Um, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write us a review, wherever you get your podcast Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, tell us what you think, anything you'd like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, Cowboys Hot Topics, who you think is going to... Make the team, you know, roster, position battles, or what is something that you dread? Hopefully come up with better options than we did. But let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyFan. I'm 24. And Rabs is at RabbleRouser, R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oy with Mauricio Rodriguez. And Sunday we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. Last.